Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811, Radio Free America. Can't do much on the Internet anymore, can we, Mr. Producer? Can't do much on uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times, can we, Mr. Producer? NBC, ABC, CBS? No. Not much. This, and once a week on Fox, that's about it. And our friends on Blaze TV, on digital. The Democrat Party and the left controls virtually all forms of communication. Big media, big tech. Really quite remarkable. One party rule is becoming the, the norm. A couple of friends of mine who work in the administration said that the uh, Washington, D.C. area looks like an absolute third world military encampment. There's military everywhere. There's military at intersections. You have to show your ID to get in and get out. I also read a piece that the uh, National Guard troops stationed at the Capitol, and this is in the blaze, were cleared to use lethal force. So there's no more concern about appearances and optics and whether or not uh, the military can use loaded weapons. That uh, those days are over. Um, and as I've said before, capital needs to be protected. There's no question about that. My, my rub was with the fact that the uh, White House and other federal institutions I came under attack. These very same uh, leftists in Congress and in the media didn't seem to have any kind of an urgency. As a matter of fact, 
Mattis and Kelly and others said you better not bring in any military when the president was thinking of using the Insurrection Act. And of course, his administration has had to sign off on the use of the National Guard. There's going to be 25,000 military unarmed National Guard troops for security, noting that they were serving at the Capitol in a support role. That has changed. On Tuesday, Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy authorized the thousands of troops providing security in the area around the Capitol to use lethal force, reports the New York Times. On January 12, 2021, National Guardsmen were given authorization to be armed in support of the U.S. Capitol Police to protect the U.S. Capitol and individual members of Congress and their staff. Guardsmen are trained in the use of lethal and less-than-lethal force, de-escalation techniques, as well as the use of protective equipment. This is standard for civil disturbance response missions. The statement continued. The move was requested by federal authorities and authorized by the Secretary of Army. McCarthy made his decision after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi demanded that the Pentagon take a more muscular posture after a mob egged on by the president, says the New York Times, breached the Capitol. Now, this is what is really disgusting to me. The mob egged on by the president. This is now the narrative for the rest of the time. For the rest of the time. And some of the media even circling back, like the Post and the New York Times, saying, you know, people are now making excuses for the president. All this pre-planned stuff that was going on. Well, these aren't excuses for anybody. They are facts. They are facts. And some of us do not wish to participate in deception. I do not wish to participate in deception. And it's interesting, Nancy Pelosi was available for questions today. Mitch McConnell, I suppose. And to the best of my knowledge, I have to admit I haven't monitored all of it, but I've looked, to the best of my knowledge, neither of them have been asked what they knew and when they knew it, if anything. Even though the former head of the Capitol Police said he told the Sergeant of Arms of the House, who reports to Pelosi, and the Sergeant of Arms to the Senate, who reports to McConnell that we needed more National Guard. And I... I just want to know what those two politicians said or knew. But that's apparently too complicated. And even asking the question is a problem, apparently. But I'll ask whatever questions I wish. The end of the 19th century saw the rise of a movement thoroughly hostile to the underlying principles of the nation's founding. The so-called progressive movement. Now they call themselves progressives, but they're statists. Now progressivism was imported from Europe and would result in a radical break from America's heritage. In fact, it's best described as an elitist-driven counter-revolution to the American Revolution. Which the sovereignty of the individual, natural law, natural rights, and the civil society built on a foundation of thousands of years of enlightened thinking and human experience would be drastically altered and even abandoned for an ideological agenda broadly characterized as historical progress. I'm telling you something that virtually no members on Capitol Hill who are Republican even comprehend. And certainly the mouthpieces in the media, whether they comprehend it or not, don't give a damn. This 
idea of progressivism and the inevitability of historical progress and the perfectibility of man and his self-realization through the national community or the collective is an ideology that was imported from Germany, from Hegel, from Marx, from Engels, but also Rousseau, I suppose. While its intellectual and political advocates clothe its core in populist terminology, despite the existence of democratic institutions and cyclical voting, progressivism's emphasis on material egalitarianism, and you hear it every day, and social engineering, and its insistence on concentrated, centralized administrative rule lead inescapably to varying degrees of autocratic governance. And you see that now. Moreover, for progressives, there are no absolute or permanent truths, only passing in distant historical events. This is from uh, Rediscovering Americanism. Thus, even values are said to be relative to time and circumstances, like the 1619 Project, of course. There's no eternal moral order. That is, that that what was true and good in 1776 and before is not necessarily true and good today. So the very purpose of America's founding is debased. And you hear that and you see that over and over and over again. When I was doing research for this book, Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism, I came across a fascinating letter. One that doesn't get much attention. It was a letter to John Adams from Thomas Jefferson. And it was dated December 10, 1819. It's a fascinating letter. While reflecting on the reasons for the demise of the Roman Empire, it described the basic elements of liberty and good government with an emphasis on virtuous people. The letter to Adams from Jefferson said, I've been amusing myself latterly with reading the voluminous letters of Cicero. Cicero was a prominent senator in Rome who Caesar eventually had executed. Brilliant man. They certainly breathe the present effusions of an exalted patriot, while the parasite Caesar is left in odious contrast. When the enthusiasm, however, kindled by Caesar's pen and principles subsides into cool reflection... I asked myself, what was the government with the virtues of Cicero were so zealous to restore and the ambition of Caesar to subvert? Sir Jefferson's asking himself, Cicero, so brilliant, gave his life, basically challenging the establishment. Caesar. And if Caesar had been as virtuous as he was daring and sagacious, what could he, even in the plenitude of his usurped power, have done to lead his fellow citizens into good government? So he's saying, Caesar was an all-powerful dictator. He was an emperor. He was an emperor. Could he have actually led his citizens into good government if that was his mindset? Jefferson says, I do not say to restore it, because they never had it. From the rape of the Sabines to the ravages of the Caesars. If their people indeed had been like ours, enlightened, peaceable, 
and really free? The answer would be obvious. Restore independence to all your foreign conquests. Relieve Italy from the government of the rabble of Rome. Consult it as a nation entitled to self-government and do its will. But steeped in corruptive vice and venality as the whole nation was. And nobody had done more than Caesar to corrupt it. What could even Cicero, Cato, Brutus have done? The great three thinkers, scholars, activists. Really for representative republicanism. He says, what could they have done? Had it been referred to them to establish a good government for their country? In other words, even if they were in control, what could they have done with this country? They had no ideas of government themselves, but of their degenerate Senate. Nor the people of liberty, but of the factitious opposition of their tribunes. In other words, he's saying, so corrupt was the society. So corrupt was their government. What could these three wise men even do if they had the power to do it? They had their Trojans and others who had the will to make them happy and the power. Did not see their way clearly to do it. No government can continue good but under the control of the people. And their people were so demoralized and depraved as to be incapable of exercising a wholesome control. Their reformation then was to be taken up from infancy. Their minds were to be informed by education, what is right, what is wrong, to be encouraged in habits of virtue and deterred from those of vice by the dread of punishments, proportioned indeed, but irremissibly, in all cases to follow truth as to the only safe guide. And to skew error. So in other words, even if you teach them good from evil, good ethics, good morals, what then? He gets to his point. In other words, were the Roman people really capable of embracing and digesting such things? These are the inculcations necessary to render the people as a sure basis for the structure of order and good government. But this would have been an operation of a generation or two at least, within which period would have succeeded many Neros, who could have quashed the whole process. So he's saying the people were without virtue. The greatest scholars, the greatest activists, the greatest minds couldn't fix that. Not in time regardless of what kind of government they had. I confess that I can neither see what Cicero, Cato, and Brutus, united and uncontrolled, could have devised to lead their people into good government, nor how this enigma can be solved, nor how further shown, if anybody, to go back with our principles and opinions to the times of Cicero, Cato, and Brutus and tell us by what process these great and virtuous men could have led so unenlightened and invitiated a people into freedom and good government. In other words, the people were irredeemably lost. No matter what anybody could do. He said, that's the difference between Rome and America. Is it? 
I'll be right back. Mark Levin. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. told by Mr. Producer, we've had a few dropouts on the technology here. We seem to have a lot of problems on this program when it comes to technical uh, quality. I can't tell you why. Uh, we had a little problem with this on yesterday's show, but apparently our crack folks who are supposed to address this didn't do anything effective. But they need to do something effective now. And I want to apologize to you because it's very unprofessional. I have no explanation for it. After the bottom of the hour, I'm going to read you a piece in the Washington Post by a fellow by the name of Aaron Blake. We've pointed out Aaron Blake before. And I want to show you how there's an attempt, a very vile, grotesque attempt by the likes of Aaron Blake, and he's not alone, to write the history of the events in the last week, despite new information that's coming out. We call this propaganda. And the Washington Post and the New York Times and the rest of them, they really are not journalists, these people. These are not really journals of news. They are absolutely propaganda papers. And I'll prove it to you when we return. I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. 
Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send in Primus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading in Primus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Politico, feds back away from claim that Capitol rioters were looking to capture and assassinate officials. Acting U.S. Attorney Michael Sherwin told reporters today, this is from Politico, that prosecutors don't have concrete proof of such an effort. The lead prosecutor overseeing the investigation into the Capitol riot backed away Friday from a suggestion in a court filing that participants in the takeover of Congress last week were seeking to take officials prisoner and potentially even execute them. Images of intruders with zip-tie handcuffs and video protesters chanting, Hang Mike Pence, have led many lawmakers and other observers to conclude that some in the crowd were intent on capturing and possibly killing prisoners. However, acting U.S. Attorney Michael Sherman told reporters Friday that prosecutors don't have concrete proof of such an effort. Right now, we don't have any direct evidence of kill-capture team, Sherman said. Sherman's contention undercut the flat assertions made by federal prosecutors in Arizona, who described in a court filing Thursday what they called strong evidence that Capitol rioters intended to, quote, capture and assassinate elected officials in the United States government, unquote. The D.C. prosecutor suggested those claims were the product of miscommunication or lack of coordination of what has become a sprawling investigation, seeking to question and arrest suspects who have returned to their home states after traveling to Washington for the pro-Trump protests that turned violent. There are other prosecutors. They may be a disconnect that may be adding information that's not directly related to what we have, said Sherwin. And it goes on. We need the facts. We don't get the facts. And in the case of too many news outlets, we're getting propaganda, not the facts. And the other day I pointed out that we need a commission like we had on 9-11 to get to the bottom of all of this. But here's a piece five hours ago by Aaron Blake in the, wall, in the Washington Post, the worst defenses of Trump on the Capitol riot. You notice how we're not talking about Biden and his radical plans that he has for America? But he goes on, this guy, in the weeks plus since the storming of the Capitol, actually, that's not where it starts. Here's his first paragraph. On January 6th, misinformation promoted by President Trump and his allies fomented a violent attempted insurrection at the U.S. Capitol in Washington. And since then, similar misinformation has been used to try and explain it all away. This guy is a radical propagandist. As we're gaining more and more facts, what he should be doing is adjusting his propaganda. But instead, he doubles, triples, quadruples down. I mean, if this were the case, wouldn't the Russia collusion stuff that went on year after year after year be the basis for 
for rioting and, and all the rest that took place. No ties are made to the Democrat Party or anything of the sort. He says, in the week plus since the storming of the Capitol, narratives have quickly emerged excusing Trump and his supporters of culpability. Well, maybe Trump and his supporters, other than the people who rushed the Capitol building, don't have culpability. Often they lack any real substantiation. Other times they've quickly been contradicted. Yet still others present straw men and knocking down an argument that's not actually being made. This guy sounds like a commentator on CNN. But let's run through some of them, he says. It was Antifa or other provocateurs. Now, stop right there. The vast majority of commentators I know, conservatives, never said it was Antifa or other provocateurs. What I've said is I want to know who these people are. Now, why does that assume it's Antifa or other provocateurs? I want to know who these people are, what their backgrounds are. I want to make sure that they are punished under our justice system. This was the initial narrative promoted by Trump and his allies, despite there being no real evidence to back it up. How could that be promoted by Trump, Mr. Producer, when Mr. Trump was banned from the Internet for all intents and purposes? The idea was simple. This wasn't all it was cracked up to be, and some ne'er-do-wells were just trying to make Trump look bad. Who said that? And by the way, they did find a couple, or at least one BLM guy there, had identified members of Antifa in the crowd, but the article turned out to be wrong and was corrected. Representative Paul Gosar uh, baselessly speculated the same day as the attack that it was a false flag event. Axios even reported this week that Trump has been pushing this narrative behind closed doors, with his Twitter ban perhaps being all that's preventing him from directly sharing it with the world. Pushing it behind closed doors with his Twitter ban preventing him from sharing it with the world? It's amazing how much Aaron Blake knows without investigating anything. I just read you a story in Politico that corrected a story, I think there was in the Washington Post and elsewhere, about the attempt to kidnap, capture, and, and murder members of Congress. It's not true, according to the acting U.S. attorney in Washington. So what was that all about, Mr. Blake? In other words, folks, this situation is enough of a powder keg that we don't need hotheads and propagandists like Blake and others to keep pouring fuel on the fire, but they can't help it. This is who they are. They can't help it. Advocates, it goes on, of this theory have since begun to seize upon the arrest of one man involved in the scenes, John Sullivan. Sullivan doesn't fit the mold of a Trump supporter. In fact, he's a self-described racial justice activist. He's actually a member of Black Lives Matter. Trump's personal lawyer, Giuliani, late Thursday used the arrest to again point the finger at alleged Antifa involvement and talked about it on his podcast. Donald Trump Jr. liked a tweet highlighting Sullivan's role. Well, what does that have to do with it? He didn't like a tweet. He retweeted. And isn't that important information? What is it that Aaron Blake wants? Should that information not be provided? Should it not be retweeted? Is it possible that there were some non-Trump supporting provoca- uh, provocateurs in the crowd that stormed the Capitol, listen to this. Of course. It was a big crowd. But just don't point them out, that's all. 
There's no evidence that they actually led the charge. As House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said during the impeachment debate this week, you see, this is what happens when you're poorly educated. I don't mean that he didn't go to a great school, but he takes opinion, takes a little cherry-pick facts, mix it, but pushes his narrative. It doesn't matter. Here he's quoting McCarthy. Who doesn't know any more than anybody else on his floor speech to counter information about this guy who has a, uh, a left-wing background? Nobody's saying that that demonstrates that they were all left-wingers. Certainly not me. But it's a piece of information people want to know. Yet the narrative persists and has landed with force with a poll this week showing 74% of Republicans believe Antifa was indeed involved. Well, was Antifa involved? Was Antifa involved? Also, during the impeachment debate this week, Representative Brian Mass, now they're going to attack Mass because Jake Tapper did, highlighted a variation of the above theory, the idea that whoever these people were, whomever these people were, they weren't acting on Trump's behalf or more directly at his request. As Philip Bump wrote afterward, Philip Bump, that's another reporter for the Post, we've dealt with uh, Phil Bump. Though while nobody had indeed been brought to answer that question in the House's proceedings, there are examples of those who participated citing Trump's invitation. One man, Jacob Chansley, also known as Kunan Shaman, told investigators he was there, according to court documents, at the request of the president that all patriots come to D.C. on January 6, 2021. What does that have to do with anything? Politicians are always gathering at rallies and gathering people at rallies. What does that have to do with anything? So this guy heard it, and he showed up. So what? Now, what Blake doesn't do is, uh, uh, show is that the president said, now, charge the building, violence. Everybody's looked at this. Everybody's gone over his language, whether it's Turley or Dershowitz or whether it's Shapiro, whether of the uh, uh, who used to prosecute cases like this, or me, or whatever. So they have to infer and project. That's what this entire article is about. He's insisting Trump did this. The pre-planning by some shows Trump didn't incite. Another prevalent argument is that the increasing evidence of pre-planning by some involved in the attempted insurrection suggests Trump didn't actually incite them. This is in many ways a straw man argument. Whether Trump bears any responsibility for his comments at the rally that preceded the storming of the Capitol, that's hardly the only thing he did, which has been said, now let's stop there. Notice he doesn't go into the timeline that the New York Times and his own newspaper actually provided, directly and indirectly. They cannot make the connection between this speech and incitement for violence. They cannot make it. There's simply no evidence. Well, look at the video. Ah, genius at work. The video shows the violence at the Capitol building. We have had people call this program and say they weren't even aware what was going on in the Capitol building. How does the president incite an attack that was pre-planned and already underway before his speech was concluded? Representative Scott Perry, Republican Pennsylvania, asked rhetorically Wednesday... By the way, this guy, Perry, is really top-notch. Top-notch. 
Representative Lee Zeldin added, we know this was pre-planned and it started while the president was speaking. Why is that not in the articles of impeachment? I know you love freedom. How do I know that? Because you listen to my show. And my show and everything I do is all about preserving freedom and the form of government that secures it for us. It's the same with Hillsdale College, one of the very best truly liberal arts colleges in the nation. That's why I talk about them all the time, because Hillsdale is committed to pursuing truth and defending liberty. Hillsdale teaches stellar students to defend freedom, no matter what they major in, whether it's science or music or economics or business, whatever. Hillsdale teaches them how to defend liberty, and they do that for you, too, through their free monthly digest of constitutional thought. It's called Imprimus. 5.6 million Americans receive Imprimus for free each month, and you, my friend and fellow freedom lover, should be reading it, too. You can subscribe for free at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. No strings attached. Generous donors who want to preserve freedom for future generations make it possible for all of us. And for Hillsdale to send Imprimus to you for no cost every month. Start receiving and reading Imprimus so you can know how to defend the freedom you love. Visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. So people like Aaron Blake and his ilk, and they're not just in the media, they look at this powder keg that they've helped created in the aggregate, and they keep putting fuses in it through their lives. I'm going to explain to you next hour what a propagandist is, and that we're surrounded by them. National Guard. 25 to 27,000 of them in Washington, D.C., armed. Armed, being told that they are free to use their weapons. We need to protect our capital. We need to protect the inauguration. Four years ago, the inauguration was under attack. I didn't see 25,000 or 27,000 National Guard. I didn't see armed National Guard protecting the courthouse in Portland that was under attack for 100 days. That's Article 3, a part of our Constitution. I didn't see the armed National Guard surrounding the White House and protecting the President and the Secret Service who came under attack from Black Lives Matter and Antifa and others armed to protect the Article 2 part of our Constitution. I didn't see governors and mayors bringing in the National Guard to protect innocent people, their homes, their businesses in Minneapolis, in Portland, in Seattle, in Philadelphia, in New York, and other places. I heard retired generals saying, you better not bring troops into the streets. You'll only make matters worse. And threatening the President of the United States who never did. Who never did. I saw a woman running for Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, who was making donations to an organization that was providing bail as fast as it possibly could to allow rioters out of jail. I saw her on a comedy show that's not even funny. Basically, 
celebrating the events. I saw Joe Biden sitting on his mouth for the vast majority of the summer until the polls started to turn, and then he, he issued a very tepid comment about the violence. I saw these same people calling our law enforcement in Portland, federal law enforcement, stormtroopers, Nazis. Aaron Blake doesn't write about any of this because he's a clown. If you truly believe in the Constitution, then defend it in our newspapers. If you truly believe in the Bill of Rights, then defend it in our newspapers. Defend it on our televisions. Defend it on radio. Otherwise, you're just another miscreant and malcontent and part of the mob. That's all you are and nothing more and nothing less. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Over at Just the News, a great John Solomon site, Senator Lindsey Graham releases crossfire hurricane oversight transcripts, slams corrupt FBI investigation. Senate Judiciary Committee released a batch of transcripts. I'm going to get to propaganda. There's a reason I'm doing it in the order that I'm doing it. Um, related to this. In a release announcing the transcripts dump, Graham said that Crossfire Hurricane, a 2016-17 FBI investigation into allegations of collusion between the 2016 Trump campaign and Russia was one of the most incompetent and corrupt investigations in the history of the FBI and Department of Justice. He said the leadership of the FBI under James Comey and Andrew McCabe was either grossly incompetent or they knowingly allowed tremendous misdeeds. There was a blind eye toward any explanation other than the Trump campaign was colluding with foreign powers. At every turn, the FBI and DOJ, uh, let's see, ran stop signs that were in abundance regarding exculpatory information. The transcripts, some of which involve unnamed federal officials, appeared to be offline due to technical issues. All right, who cares? Crossfire Hurricane was eventually subsumed into the Mueller Special Counsel investigation, That council found no evidence establishing collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. Former Deputy U.S. Attorney General Rod Rosenstein acknowledged last summer that by August of 2017 there was no evidence linking the Trump campaign to the Russian government, even though the special counsel's investigation into that conspiracy theory continued for yet another year and a half past that point. And now we have the next collusion and conspiracy theory pushed by individuals like Aaron Blake and the same people who lied to us about Russia collusion. That Donald Trump incited an insurrection against his own country, specifically the Capitol building. Now that's what they want you to believe. Despite the facts that are coming out, the endless propaganda by our media, the president incited an attack on the Capitol building that was planned before he ever spoke? And I'm trying to find out who knew what, when, and how? 
And these schmoes at the Post and the New York Times and CNN and MSNBC just keep piling on. They have no interest in getting any information. The commitment to community journalism and social activism with the integration of opinion and news making objective truth increasingly difficult to discern. Is the public actually receiving predominantly news or propaganda or pseudo-information? One of the keys to answering this question points to Edward Bernays. Bernays, one of his publishers tells us, pioneered the scientific technique of shaping and manipulating public opinion, which he called engineering consent. George Creel enlisted him into Woodrow Wilson's propaganda operation a hundred years ago or more. Bernays was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, and according to Christopher Daly, was a pioneer in theorizing about human thoughts and emotions. Bernays volunteered for the Committee of Public Information, which Woodrow Wilson set up as a propaganda operation, and he threw himself into the work. His outlook, a mixture of idealism about the cause of spreading democracy and cynicism about the methods involved, was typical of many at that agency. He's considered in some quarters the founder of the contemporary public relations profession. He believed in the power of propaganda and the manipulation and brainwashing of the masses, quote-unquote. The the minority, that is masterminds or elites, has discovered a powerful help in influencing majorities. It's been found possible to mold the minds of the masses, that they will throw their newly gained strength in the desired direction. This is him, Bernays. In the present structure of society, this practice is inevitable. Whatever of social importance is done today, whether in politics, finance, manufacturing, charity, education, agriculture, must be done with the help of propaganda. Propaganda is the executive arm of the invisible government. Now, first and foremost, this means using the media, or the media exercising its own ideologically driven will as a propaganda enterprise. Bernays wrote, the extent to which propaganda shapes the progress of affairs about us may surprise even well-informed persons. Nevertheless, it is only necessary to look under the surface of the newspaper for a hint as to propaganda's authority over public opinion. Page one of the New York Times on the day these paragraphs are written contains eight important news stories. So he explains, takes an example of the New York Times, shows how they manipulate the headlines, and in fact, they promote propaganda by what they include and by what they exclude. And for Bernays, propaganda was not troubling, but in fact, inevitable and useful. He didn't think the public was capable of enlightened thinking and decisions in a republic, much like Aaron Blake, in my opinion. Or Jeremy, what is that guy's name at the New York Times? I can't remember his last name, ever. Jeremy Peters, or Philly Bump, or the whole bunch of them. Therefore, they need to be led by those who supposedly are, at least by those who self-servingly claim to be, enlightened. He explained, quote, these examples are not given of the New York Times to create the impression that there's anything sinister about propaganda. They're set down, rather, to illustrate how conscious direction is given to events. Yes, you have to understand, Trump incited an insurrection against America, an insurrection against the Capitol building. And anybody who thinks otherwise is a dupe, is spinning, is a white supremacist, is inciting him or herself. Propaganda of the worst sort. 
And Bernays argued that modern propaganda is a consistent, enduring effort to create or shape events, to influence the relations of the public to an enterprise idea or group. This practice of creating circumstances and of creating pictures in the minds of millions of persons, he writes, is very common. Virtually no important undertaking is now carried out without it. According to Bernays, there is a new propaganda, which, quote, takes account not merely of the individual nor even of the mass mind alone, but also and especially of the anatomy of society, with its interlocking group formations and loyalties. It sees the individual not only as a cell in the social organism, but as a cell organized into the social unit. Touch a nerve at a sensitive spot and you get an automatic response from certain specific members of the organism. And I say there's a despotic odor to Brene's elevation of propaganda as a righteous yet routine undertaking exercised for virtuous purposes by a supposedly intellectually astute and superior minority, a.k.a. the American media. The masses must be shepherded and managed for their own good and the betterment of society. The new propaganda, as Bernays explains, having regard to the constitution of society as a whole, not infrequently serves to focus and realize the desires of the masses. He said clearly it is the intelligent minorities, and he's not talking about racial minorities, which need to make use of propaganda continuously and systematically. In other words, the political left as an example. In the act of proselytizing minorities in whom selfish interest and public interest coincide lie the progress and development of America. Only through the active energy of the intelligent few can the public at large become aware of and act upon new ideas. So there you have it. And this is exactly the belief system of the left and their media. Exactly the belief system. And they are constantly trying to manipulate us. They are constantly trying to Adjust events and modify events through opinion, through censorship, or through emphasizing certain things. And that's what Aaron Blake did, and that's why I read you his piece. It's a compelling example of propaganda. And he's not alone. In fact, there's multitudes of these people who now work for the media. They're doing grave damage to this country. You know who became a big fan of Bernays' writing on propaganda, Mr. Producer? Adolf Hitler. His main book on propaganda was turned into German so Hitler could read it and read it often. And unfortunately, that book has had an enormous impact on our own society. Not that these fools read it. They don't need to read it. They can write their own. Because they have become, many of them, if not most of them, propagandists. 1619 Project. Covering up what took place with Hunter Biden. Not asking Joe Biden questions after he gives a speech. Meanwhile, Russia collusion, Russia collusion, Russia collusion. It's incredible. Or certain kind of violence is acceptable. Other kinds of violence are not. That the police are lousy, except, of course, when the police do what they wish. That you can't have armed troops in a city protecting the White House, but you should have them in a city protecting the Capitol building. 
you and I understand what's taking place here, which is why you're so frustrated. No consistency of morality, no consistency of argument, no defense of our constitutional system. Just this constant attack, attack, attack. And by analyzing this, seeing this, truly believing it and feeling it, you see, Mark's rhetoric is very insightful. That's what they'll say. I'm not inciting a damn thing. They are. I'm just calling a fact a fact. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. You've heard of this Lincoln Project, of course, and they run very vile ads, and the certain of the individuals associated with that project make an enormous amount of money. Um, they don't come under attack from the left because the left thinks they're really terrific. But there's some really grotesque individuals who are tied to this organization, apparently not the least of whom is a fellow by the name of Weaver. I'm just basing this on stories that are out there. This is from the Daily Caller, Marlo Safi. The Lincoln Project appeared to have scrubbed association with its co-founder, John Weaver, on its site after allegations that Weaver sent unwanted, uncomfortable, and sexually aggressive message to nearly a dozen young men. Now, Weaver, of course, was a close advisor to a number of uh, rhinos, including McCain. Search of the Lincoln Project's Our Team page, where Weaver was listed, leads to a page that doesn't exist. An archive of the page shows that it existed as of January 11 and listed Weaver. Two days prior, journalist Ryan Gradusky said in a tweet that young men had sent him screenshots of predatory messages allegedly from Weaver, a political consultant who formerly worked for the John McCain presidential campaign and then on a former Ohio Governor John Kasich's presidential campaign. And I won't read you what some of these say. You can go to uh, the Daily Caller yourself. Gradusky wrote, the journalist, in the American Conservative Monday, that a man whose identity he kept anonymous claimed that he was in communication with several young men who Weaver solicited for a job and then allegedly propositioned them for sex as part of the offer, quote-unquote. In messages, Gradusky said he reviewed. One man allegedly met with Weaver and had consensual sex although Weaver allegedly never followed up with a job offer. A college student reportedly claimed that Weaver began 
messaging him on Twitter with potential internship offers. After persistent messages, the student told Gerdusky that Weaver had called him after midnight and on another occasion asked the student about his height, weight, build, making the student uncomfortable. When the student responded he was about average, Bill Weaver alleged respond, allegedly responded, Oh my boy, I'm sure certain parts of you are well above average. Gradusky also appeared on Laura Ingram's Fox News show January 13 to detail the allegations. My boy was a common name Weaver allegedly gave to more than 12 young men. Forensic News reported on January 13. Reporter Scott Stedman showed messages Weaver allegedly sent him, also referring to him as my boy, and sent Stedman unwanted personal messages calling him smart, clever, handsome, hot, you have it all, quote-unquote. Forensic News reviewed messages from more than a dozen sources aged 19 to 26, many of which chose to remain anonymous, alleging Weaver sent them uncomfortable and sometimes sexually explicit messages. While some of the men engaged Weaver sexually, Forensic News reports that in many cases Weaver dangled his political connections and access to high-profile job opportunities in an attempt to receive sexual favors, quote-unquote. One man identified as Josh P. told Forensic News that Weaver very strongly suggested that any job opportunities he offered would be in exchange for sexual favors. Weaver allegedly said he could get him a job with Macron's people in France and offered to take him to the Rothschild wineries. None of the young men who have spoken out about the exchanges with Weaver have alleged any criminal wrongdoing, but they have reportedly accused him of grooming them. And it goes on. Obviously, I have no first-hand knowledge of this. If Mr. Weaver would like to come on the program and uh, respond to this, and it's in multiple places now in the media, then he should. We'd be happy to put him on the air uh, to reply to this. Democrats pressure to expel Madison Cawthorn. Now, Madison Cawthorn, as you know, is a youngest member of Congress. He got elected at the age of 25. Mark Meadows' own old seat. He's paralyzed from the waist down. He's a very courageous and patriotic young man. And now Democrats want Pelosi to expel him. Well, Pelosi doesn't get to expel anybody. The House has to. And if anybody should be expelled, it's her. Her for calling our law enforcement stormtroopers. And that's just the beginning. Democratic leaders from North Carolina's westernmost district are calling for the expulsion of freshman representative Madison uh, Cawthorn, a Republican, alleging his, quote, seditious behavior, unquote, helped incite the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol last week. So any Republican or any citizen now who has raised questions about this election in 2020 is now seditious and has incited an insurrection. Now, in 2016, when the Democrats refused to accept a peaceful transition of power and spent every minute thereafter hounding the President of the United States, trying to figure out ways to remove him from office, that's okay. But anybody who raises legitimate concerns about the election, they need to be expelled, they need to be fired, they need to change, they need to do whatever. But the Constitution doesn't change. And I'll continue to defend it, unlike those who are on the left and in the media, the propagandists. Expel Madison Cawthorn. 
we have some kind of a uh, a French revolution going on in this country, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be right back. The one-man antidote for liberal media bias, Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Let me ask you a question. They say Donald Trump incited this attack on Capitol Hill, and we've talked about it for several days. How do we know Nancy Pelosi's conduct and comments didn't cause these nutjobs to attack the Capitol building? How do we know Adam Schiff and Gerald Nadler and Maxine Waters and their conduct and their comments didn't fire up and gaslight these these fanatics? Why is it assumed that it was Donald Trump's speech when we can look at a timeline and we know that they were preparing their attack before this event, they attacked before he completed his speech, based on the timeline that we're able to discern from the New York Times. So how do we know it wasn't a reaction to what they've been doing? How do we know it wasn't a right reaction to the Russia collusion stuff? How do we know it wasn't a reaction to the first impeachment? How do we know it wasn't a reaction to the name-calling against Trump supporters? I mean... I can write a piece like Aaron Blake and come to a completely different conclusion. A completely different conclusion. Why do you think some of us are saying you've got to confront and put down violence no matter where it is? Aaron Blake isn't saying that. Nancy Pelosi isn't saying that. I'm saying that. You're saying that. But how do we know that this Violence and these violent people that these these criminals how do we know that they weren't incited as a result of what some of these Democrats were saying or what some of the media are saying and this is why I say over and over again that the media need to tamp it down CNN the things that they say nobody's writing an article Paul Farry at the Washington Post would never write an article about what CNN is doing and how they're inciting. Are they going to change their rhetoric? Are they going to change how they cover riots? Are they going to change how they cover the election? Not a word. There's no, inter- there's no uh, circumspection about all this Russia collusion nonsense. But how do we know? Now, this isn't a diversion on my part. I'm communicating with you, the people who are listening to this program, their statements, their rhetoric, their propaganda against this president, against Republicans, against the people who voted for him, and so forth and so on. How do we know that isn't what triggered the violence? Rather than the president saying that the election was stolen. Even to raise that question will be to face attack. Because it's not what the media mob and the political mob have in mind. 
No, it's not. BLM bail fund promoted by Kamala Harris refuses to share records of criminals sprung from jail. At Zero Hedge, a fund established to bail out Black Lives Matter protesters, which helped free at least six men accused of domestic violence in two months, is refusing to disclose exactly who they've helped spring from jail. The Minnesota Freedom Fund, or MFF, which was endorsed by Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, has raised over $35 million, has bailed out an unknown number of accused thugs, rioters, and other criminals, and finding information exactly who they've bailed out has been an arduous task. Here's what we do know about the Harris-endorsed bail recipients. In August, the fund posted $15,000 bail for the release of Sean McClinton, a convicted sex offender facing rape charges. According to prosecutors, McClinton raped the woman just weeks after his July release. was back in custody, facing prosecution over alleged rape, kidnapping, strangulation, and other charges. September, the Daily Caller poured through court records and found that the MFF had helped free several men suspected of heinous crimes, including accused child molester Timothy Wayne Columbus, who faced up to 30 years in prison on allegations that he sexually assaulted an 8-year-old girl. 31-year-old Dexter Boone was arrested on May 2 after allegedly breaking into his son's mother's apartment and strangled her in front of her minor children. According to Just the News, the MFF has refused to provide information on the men it helped bail out. In short, the next vice president of the United States actively promoted murky bail fund organization. And why can't we get this information? Now, what's happening all over the country here, one day will be condemned. We all condemn what took place at the Capitol. What I'm talking about are the corporatists, the administrators of various colleges and universities, the Democrat Party, the media, all targeting individuals by name, Listing individuals, trying to destroy them, lying about their character, trying to make sure they don't get jobs, trying to make sure they get fired from jobs, trying to cancel their book deals, using big, big media and big tech to squelch any kind of opposition to the narrative. To the narrative is while they censor and protect as the Praetorian Guard the incoming administration. You can see attacks on academic freedom, you can see attacks on free speech, you can see attacks on freedom of association. There was a Washington Post story last week, I believe it was, that essentially accused me. And we're looking at this very carefully. And my quote-unquote misinformation, whatever that means, of causing an individual to die. He had a heart attack at this event. Because apparently he had followed me on one of the sites. I had millions of people following me in social media. 
I have no control over anybody. The millions of people who follow me, you, are nonviolent people. In fact, you're more cerebral than the average journalist, that's for sure. And in one or two sentences, they tried to ascribe to me some kind of responsibility for his death. He had a heart attack. And in the same exact sentence, misinformation, and I paraphrase, put out by Mark Levin, comma, Proud Boys, and others. Mark Levin and Proud Boys? I have nothing to do with Proud Boys. Have I ever said anything about the Proud Boys, supported the Proud Boys, encouraged the Proud Boys, celebrated the Proud Boys, Mr. Producer? I want nothing to do with the Proud Boys. I explained the other day, the threats I've had on my life and my safety have come from Klansmen, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists. I used to be a favorite on the front of store, I think it was called Storefront, or Stormfront, Stormfront which was the neo-Nazi website. These people are frightening. They hate me. Not just because I'm a Jew, but I believe in America. I believe in our constitutional system. They do not. Richard Spencer, one of the leaders of one of these groups, endorsed Joe Biden for President of the United States. Biden. But these groups are a grave threat to the country. They're a grave threat to me and my family. Because I don't believe in a violent overthrow of the United States government. I believe in a peaceful institution of our constitutional system. It's very much like the hardcore left. The real Marxists. They have no tolerance. The Maoists... The Stalinists, they have no tolerance for half measures. And so what did Mao do? Many of the men who helped him overthrow the government in China, who were communist revolutionaries, he had them executed. He didn't want any competition, and they just weren't good enough for him. Joseph Stalin did exactly the same thing. Castro did much of the same thing. Why? Because, among other things, they're power-hungry, sick, sick people, genocidal maniacs. But besides that, they are followers of Marx. Marx says there can be no half-measures, there can't be a half-communist. You're either all-in or you're not in. And he felt that the people who were half-communists and weren't all-in, they were the worst of the worst and they needed to be eliminated. Because they were traitors to the revolutionary cause. You must destroy that which exists. You saw that with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. These are Marxist organizations. You must reject the history that came before. You saw that with the attack on the monuments and the attack on the founding. You see it with the New York Times and the 1619 Project, which is utterly shocking. You must create a societal revulsion against that which exists, the status quo. And you must use violence. Because the bourgeoisie won't go away quietly. They will fight. They will dig in. 
It's a completely poisonous and irrational ideology. And yet, progressivism is the bastard child of Marxism. And the Democrat Party has embraced it now full bore. Full bore. Manchin's no moderate. You look at this guy, Manchin. He's politically schizophrenic and a coward. Then you look at somebody like Lisa Murkowski. She's very dumb. She doesn't even understand what's whirling around her, swirling around her. She thinks, Trump, we should go forward with the trial because he should never run for office again. Well, that's very fascistic of her. Does she not understand the Constitution that she swore to uphold? You can't bring a trial against a private citizen. Regardless of what you want, Lisa, she's thinking of leaving the Republican Party. She already left the Republican Party. She uses the Republican Party. That's what she does. And she inherited her seat from her father. May I say so? I think I will say so. A lightweight who should be defeated next time around, and we'll do everything we can to defeat her. We tried once before. Then you listen to Ben Sass. Every senator and congressman has every right to be very angry about what occurred. Every citizen has a right to be very angry about what occurred in that Capitol building. Every right. But Ben Sass has been trying to undermine Donald Trump from the day he was elected to the United States Senate. I've never heard Ben Sass concerned about what the FBI did, the intelligence groups did, what the Clinton campaign and the Obama administration did to this president when he was running, when he was president-elect and thereafter. Has anybody heard him take any lead on that? No, of course not. Nothing. Zero. When we come back, I want to read to you the comments of a sitting United States senator from the state of Oklahoma. James Lankford. Well, Mark, why do we care? You'll see. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Well, we may have the same Lankford for the next hour, maybe not, but I want to say something. Um about Martha McCullum, who's been filling the 7 p.m. Eastern slot on Fox, and she'll be moving to 3 p.m., because I think they want to muscle up that 3 p.m. time slot that doesn't get a big number. I find her to be one of the last of the true journalists. And you can see she tries to walk the straight and narrow. She really does. And I'm very impressed with her, and if every journalist... We're like Martha McCullum. This would be a better country. I don't know her personally. Uh, I think I've met her once or twice, and she's been on the show once or twice over the course of, what, 15, 20 years? Uh, But I find her to be quite fair. She's not obnoxious like some people are. And uh, I think she conducts herself as a true professional. And I certainly think she tries to be a true professional. When you read reporters in the Washington Post and the New York Times, or you watch them on CNN or MSNBC, you see the way they treated the President of the United States versus how they treat Biden. You see a very perverse 
approach to what used to be a profession and now is a joke. But I don't feel that way with Martha McCullum. She's a real standout. She's a standout on Fox, and she's a standout on cable, and she's a standout, period. So those of you who are interested in getting into journalism, you should watch how she does her job. And you'll be able to watch her at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, as I say, as I'm sure that Fox is very interested in strengthening that slot. Um, it's not a put-down of anyone else. It's just that... Uh, I think she's quite capable of that. So I wanted to point that out. James Lankford apologizes to black constituents for his questioning the Electoral College results. Senator James Lankford apologized for questioning the Electoral College vote and planning to object to certifying Arizona's Electoral College. When I announced my support for an Electoral Commission to spend 10 days auditing the results of the 2020 presidential election... It's never my intention to disenfranchise any voter or state. It was my intention to resolve any outstanding questions before the inauguration. So Lankford sees that now in his rearview mirror as, I guess, attacking his black constituents? It's getting weirder and weirder out there, ladies and gentlemen. Some of this just does not have an explanation. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. My name is Mark Levin. Our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Can somebody please show me one example? Just one. Where the Democrats want unity, Mr. Producer. Can you show me any? This is from Axios, a left-wing site. By Alana Treen. Democrats are in a dilemma of their own making. And now they want incoming Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to wrap up President Trump's impeachment trial as fast as possible. Two sources familiar with the discussions tell Axios. The party wanted to hold the president accountable for helping to incite last week's capital attack. But the actual mechanism for doing so, a Senate trial, is a bulky tool that will inhibit President-elect Joe Biden from launching his effort to heal the country and its economy. All right, so let's stop there. Everything's about the Democrat Party, have you noticed? This was an unconstitutional impeachment of an innocent man, just like the first one. But in this case, even, even the communist Chinese go through the motions of pretending to give somebody due process. Well, our communists, I mean our Democrats, didn't even do that. 
And I'm one of the few people, once again, who actually read their 76-page document, only 50 pages of which laid out the supposed case for impeachment. There wasn't a single piece of evidence whatsoever supporting the impeachment charge of inciting an insurrection against the United States government. Think about that. Think about that language. Think about that language. Now, I want to make a suggestion, and as usual, I'll put a marker down, and we'll let the backbenchers and the others regurgitate it. And it's this. When and if the Republicans take back the House of Representatives, whether it's in 22 or 2024, whenever the hell it is, and I hope you're listening, Leader McCarthy, when that happens... Listen to me. I'm going to make it as the first idea, the first proposal. The others will pick up on it. I wonder what John Turley has to say. But anyway, and it's this. The House of Representatives should vote to repeal the impeachment of the President of the United States. Is that constitutional, Mark? Constitution doesn't say they can't do it. That's more constitutional than chasing a president as a citizen down to Mar-a-Lago and to hold a trial. I mean, that is just so fascistic. It's unbelievable. Anybody who understands our history and what happened in Philadelphia and what these men were thinking knows that's absolutely absurd. But what I'm saying is that the House of Representatives, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me, because we're going to want your members to do it, those of you who are Republican members. They are to reverse this impeachment. They are to repeal it. And they are to condemn it. As a violation of separation of powers, as a violation of the impeachment clause, and a violation of the, uh, the basic understanding of our constitutional republic and what took place in Philadelphia. So again, for the third time to underscore the point, the impeachment should be repealed. Got that, Paul? Got that, Jeremy? Got that, Aaron? These are the so-called reporters out there. Axios goes on. The general view among Senate Democrats and Biden officials is that it's in both parties' interests not to have a drawn-out trial. So don't have a drawn-out trial. Just bring in the guillotine. Like the French Revolution, bring in the guillotine and be over with it. And while we're doing that to Trump, do it to his wife, bring the kids in, get it over with. Because as the Great leader and statesman Mitch McConnell said, as Mitch McConnell said, we need to erase Trump and his supporters from the party, eradicate them. Yeah, that big Mitch McConnell following out there, that's that's some juggernaut there, Mitch. Mitch, which, you know what Mitch rhymes with, Mr. Producer? Itch. What were you thinking? Democrats will soon control the White House, Senate, and House. It's amazing. 50-50 in the Senate. And 10 or 11 seat majority in the House. That's it. It's the tiniest of majorities. But they don't care. It's enough to change the world. Want to get back to legislating and focus on Biden's plans like the massive COVID-19 rescue package. See how the media... It's a rescue package. 
$15 minimum wage that'll put some small businesses out of business that will result in people who make more than that getting tips now making less because they'll be on the $15 clock. And it'll make sure that less people are hired. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the Biden plan. By the way, can anybody tell me any private sector job Joe Biden ever held? He never held any. Not one. He never worked for a minimum wage. I worked for a minimum wage. He's never worked in the private sector at all. Giving speeches doesn't count between running uh, for offices. But he knows how the economy works. He's your typical big left-wing Democrat. Massive spending, massive programs, redistribution of wealth, big government, lots of regulations, same damn thing over and over again. But he cares. Even if both sides miraculously agree to doing away with trial documents and witnesses. Listen to this. This is a, this is a news site. Since some argue every member of Congress was a witness to the Capitol siege, each side's outliers can consume hours by opening arguments, questions, debating, closing arguments. So Axios, another left-wing site, is don't waste your time on a trial. Just hang the guy. Hang the guy. we got to get on with Joe Biden's business. Why don't we have a trial then? And find out what Nancy Pelosi knew and what McConnell knew, according to the chief of the Capitol Police. He spoke to the sergeant of arms of both houses of Congress. But they want unity, ladies and gentlemen. After they crush your free speech rights, after they're done calling you white supremacists and voting for the same guy neo-Nazis voted for. Now, why would a neo-Nazi vote for Donald Trump? Considering he's the greatest president in America that Israel has ever worked with. Since he has Jewish grandchildren and his daughter is an Orthodox Jew. Why would the neo-Nazis take such a liking to him? They haven't. They're opportunists. Like all of these fringe groups. They're opportunists. Neo-Nazis do not support our Constitution. Klansmen do not support our Constitution. Marxists, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, they do not support our Constitution. We are constitutionalists. We do. But look at this. They want a speedy trial, which means no trial. I'm telling you, if we ever have a sober moment in our history, people are going to look back on this, and the disgrace will not be Donald Trump. It will not be you. It'll be the people who are doing this. And these reporters who are writing these phony news stories and opinion pieces, they are enshrining their own legacy for what is becoming a greater and greater autocratic one-party system. I'll be right back. in. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stephen Moore is a good man. Uh, He's worked at a number of uh, outstanding think tanks because he's a thinker and he's an economist. And he assisted the president of the United States with his fantastic uh, tax cut plan that created all kinds of wealth and growth and prosperity. And now he's looked at what Joe Biden is proposing and he's deeply concerned. Stephen Moore, how are you, sir? Hi, Mark. It's good to be with you. By the way, I think every American should be deeply concerned about what uh, what Joe Biden announced. Well, tell us tell us what he's proposed and what it's going to do. Well, it's a fiscal atrocity. Uh, This is one point nine trillion. I didn't say billion. I said trillion with a T. Uh, This is a plan. By the way, we just passed three or four weeks ago, Mark, a nine hundred billion dollar uh, uh, you know, um, COVID so you're telling so, so me this, in basically a month or two months' time, we're talking about almost three trillion dollars. Exactly, and 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 we had already pa- passed roughly two and a half trillion dollars prior to that. And, and no offense, Steve, what is the unemployment rate today? Do you know? Six point seven percent. We've had six point seven percent before, haven't we? Oh my goodness! It was six point seven percent throughout the entire Obama presidency, and we didn't spend three trillion dollars, did we? Sorry? I'm just saying, I'm not one of these people that thinks we need to keep spending money like this because you have less than 7% unemployment. We're going to jack up another $2 trillion, which is going to have almost no effect, but I'll let you explain it. And then what? This is right out of the box. So here's the thing, Mark. I mean, governments don't even buy into their premise, okay? Don't buy into the the premise. If Milton Friedman were alive today, what he would tell you is government spending destroys jobs. It doesn't increase jobs. Government spending is bad for the economy. I don't even know where this lunatic idea came from in the last 10 or 15 years that somehow you're going to save the economy by running it into $30 trillion of debt. I mean, it is... It is a nutty idea, in my opinion, and the idea that we can – let me just tell you some of the things that are in this bill, Mark, because it is it – is, this is – well, first of all, let's step back a minute. Remember during the campaign, Joe Biden said, I'm not, I'm not a liberal, you know, left-wing Bernie Sanders Democrat. I'm a moderate. I'm a centrist. Uh, well, but Bernie – this is a Bernie Sanders bill. This has every idea that Bernie Sanders has been talking about for the last 20 years. It has the $15 minimum wage. It has required uh, uh, paid leave uh, that employers have to pay. It has a $400 supplemental unemployment benefit on top of normal benefits. It has the $350 billion blue state bailout for Cuomo and for Kurtzker in Illinois and Newsom in California, the dingbat governors who shut down their economy. It has massive numbers of social programs that have nothing to do with uh, with the COVID 
crisis. There's $20 billion for urban mass transit systems. I could go on and on, but this is just a wish list of liberal programs. So, And this is all they ever do. And this is all they ever do. Massive spending, redistribution of wealth, tax increases. Well, well, that's exactly right. And incidentally, Mark, to, to put a fine point on it, just so people, people have to eat. But we have a massive food stamps program that is so massive, it's unbelievable. Well, the food stamps get expanded in this, in this bill, too. And, and, but basically what we're doing is rewarding people for not working. Casey Mulligan, who is one of the top economists, labor economists in the world at University of Chicago, uh, he and I have done an analysis of this bill. We just you know, looked at what the major elements of the bill, and we estimate that this bill will actually reduce employment by $5 million because two-thirds under this bill – I'm not making this up, Mark – under this bill – Two-thirds of unemployed workers will actually get paid less money if they go back on the job than if they stay unemployed. I mean, how crazy is that? Well, if you know this, and this other economist knows this, and everybody else can figure this out, why are they doing this? Because they're trying to – it's something you talk about every every night, Mark. They're trying to create an entitlement dependency class, and this bill will do that. Everyone becomes more and more dependent on – government uh we we should just if we're gonna by the way the economy is going to be in great shape in a couple of months once we get this vaccine out and if the if we could simply you know what the best stimulus right now would be for the economy mark why doesn't uh why doesn't de blasio open up new york city why doesn't uh cuomo open up the whole state of new york why doesn't uh, Newsom open up california why doesn't pritzker open up illinois right now i'm sitting in uh in florida this state is open for business, Mark. Mm-hmm. It's totally open for business. It feels like we're back to normal here, except people are wearing masks. You go to New York, everything's shut down. No, it's absolutely awful. You're quite right. There, there's so many contradictions in this kind of spending. Now, a $15 an hour minimum wage, they're going to impose that on every, most, almost every business. If you're struggling as a little business, particularly in these blue states, how the hell are you going to pay a $15 minimum wage? More are going to go out of business, and they're going to fire more people. Isn't that right? Yeah. Can you think of a worse time, uh, Mark, than now to raise the minimum wage? A, a, a lot of those minimum wage jobs are people who run work in shops and run in, work in stores and work in restaurants and bars. Guess what? Those businesses are barely keeping their above, head, head above water right now. Now you're going to clobber them with a $15 an hour minimum wage. You're going to put a lot of those businesses right back into bankruptcy. Incidentally, I don't know if you ever worked in a job where you were a tipped worker, but I bet you know many, many of the people uh, listening to the show have, have done that sometime in their life. We have a lower minimum wage for people who are tipped workers, like waiters, because they make most of their jobs through tips. This bill requires $15 minimum wage for even those workers, which is mean you're not going to have waiters anymore. This is, uh, you know, how many private sector jobs has Joe Biden had? None. How many private <laughs> how sector many? jobs has Bernie Sanders had? None. Right. So the people making these decisions, they're all political decisions. They're going to screw up the economy uh, even worse than it's been. And uh, it's it's just incredible to me, and we're, and I'm concerned now. We're we're reaching the point with these constant trillion dollar uh, so-called uh, stimulus or relief bills, uh, Stephen, that we are getting to an annual guaranteed salary here, aren't we? 
Well, that's well, that's exactly where they're going with this. That that is exactly their end game here is to you know basically have what's called universal basal income, basic income, which is a socialist concept. The American people rejected it. They don't want to socialize our economy, but this this will move us well along the way. Incidentally, just to give you a sense of of the craziness of what's going on in Washington today, when I first arrived in Washington D.C. in 1984, when Reagan was president, we had a one trillion dollar national debt, and we thought that was horrible, horrible one trillion dollar national debt. After Biden is through in his first year, we will have a thirty trillion dollar national debt. We will have gone from one trillion to thirty trillion dollars. Can you can you hold on to, uh, after the break? Yes. Yeah. All right. We'll be back with uh, top economist Stephen Moore in just a minute. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over two million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Blasting conservative fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Steve Moore, what should Biden or Washington be doing that would assist the growth of the economy and employment and opportunity and so forth? Well, that's a great question because Donald Trump has really has teed this thing up. I mean, this economy is ready to explode. We've had the fastest recovery from a recession. I, I bet people are going to be surprised to hear this because the media never tells the story. If you take if you take California, New York, New Jersey, and Illinois out of the pictures, which are liberal, far gone states, the the economy of the U.S. is is in, in pretty decent shape given what we've been through. You add those four states back in, and it looks like a disaster. It's all a result of these blue state governors who have paralyzed their businesses uh, and, and destroyed millions of jobs, and then they blame Trump for it. But right now, I mean, look, the economy grew by nine percent in the fourth quarter. Nine percent. Usually two or three or four percent is a good number. Uh, You get that vaccine out there, which, by the way, one of the greatest programs in American history was uh, Operation Warp Speed. And it wasn't a government program. I know you've talked about this. It was not a government program, folks. Donald Trump got the government out of the way. (laughs) That's how we got the vaccine. We got around all of the rules. So let's let's get the vaccine out there. The one good thing Biden has, he has one good element of his plan, which is to distribute 100 million vaccines over the next three months. He's exactly right. If we do that, you don't have to spend another penny because the economy will explode. 
Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how they do that, because apparently the, they're stockpiling this stuff by uh, wittingly or unwittingly in some of these states because of their bureaucratic and political decision-making. Of course. I mean, I even, inquired, in, it, I even inquired in, into Virginia uh, just to see, okay, I'm not trying to get in front of the line. Where do I line up? Oh, you got to fill out this thing and fill out that thing. They should be grabbing people off the street and putting it right in their arms. It is the, it is incredibly inefficient program. It's because uh, we're letting the government run it. Uh, if you let the uh, you know the companies run it, I think we could get those vaccines out there much faster. I mean, New York has only vaccinated. They have you know uh, huge as you said stockpiles, and only twenty percent of the uh, people who uh, you know only twenty percent of the vaccines have even been distributed yet. I mean, that's ridiculous. It's very very troubling to me uh, because you have this operation warp speed and uh, and and. Uh... Joe Biden has announced that the man in charge of it, who's done such an incredible job, is now going to be removed. Why? Because he worked for Donald Trump? Uh, the guy's an expert in many respects, and he's going to bring back an old, uh, you know, Obama appointee. Well, I guarantee you that in, within two or three months' time, uh, Biden will be calling this the Biden vaccine. <laughs> and this was one of Donald Trump's great oh, yes. triumphs. This this vaccine, which, by the way, I think people should know, the normal process, it takes four to five to six years to get a vaccine on the market. Because Trump relied on the private sector and private industry and not government, we got it out in 10 months, which is a miracle. And that will end up saving this this, this uh, man that the left despise will, because of his actions, save hundreds of thousands of lives in the United States and, Mark, tens of millions of people around the world. No, I agree completely. And he'll get no credit. You know, history will give him credit. The soberness right. of history. So. But, but I think today, uh, no way. Let me ask you another question. So Mark, Mark yeah. you know, during the break, I, I, you, I looked through other elements of that of, of planks of this bill, yeah. and I only got through a few of them, and I just wanted to if, you know, go I ahead. mention a couple of others. Okay, so there is a hundred, here's one that just really rubs me the wrong way. $130 billion, not $130 million, $130 billion for the schools. Well, wait a minute, Mark. The schools have been shut down for the last year. Unbelievable. And now we're giving them money. Uh, I mean, it's well, you know why, right? Very... You know that? why, right? Because he owes the teachers' why? unions, and, uh, and he's going to take care of the teachers' unions. Of course. It's you know, my county, Steve, Loudoun County, they gave the teachers a salary increase. And I'm thinking, it's uh, no, no disrespect, but for what? And then I hear, well, they right. might strike, not here, but elsewhere. And I say, well, how would we know? <laughs> exactly. No, and I mean this has one been one of the most sinister things about this uh, this last year, it, what I call a national case of child abuse. That we have shut down our schools for now ten. My my twelve and thirteen year olds haven't been in school for a year. Terrible. I mean, think of what that does to their social and economic and educational development. No, mm-hmm. liberals don't. They all they talk about is how much they care about kids, but this is real damage. So, 130 billion dollars for the schools. There's 25 billion dollars for the New York and and uh, other inner city subway systems that have been running empty for the last 10 months. Do you know the New York City subway system has been running on full, on virtual full capacity for now for the last nine months, and nobody's riding it. What private company would do that? Oh, I'll tell you what, again, out in my county here, when the schools, when the kids weren't going to schools, the buses kept driving. You see, because what matters the most is employment for Democrats that work for the government. 
That's the bottom line. There's really two economies in many ways, Steve. I'd like your take on this. Every time the government is supposedly shut down for three and a half minutes, the sky's going to fall. You shut down the private sector for nine months, it's righteous. And so uh, people who are in government, not all but most, they still get their pay, their pension, their medical care. People in the private sector, they don't get any of that. No, the $350 billion that I mentioned uh, in the blue state bailout money, what is that money for? It's for government employees. Who's looking after the private sector employees? They lost more jobs than the uh, government workers did. And, of course, those workers are all, I'll say it again, they're in New York, they're in California, they're in Illinois, they're in Michigan, states in New Jersey, states with, with Democratic governors that, that paralyze. And by the way, this is only enabling them to keep their, government, their economy shut down. So let's talk about how much Joe Biden and, uh, and Sanders really care about the little guy. So you're going to have little guys without college degrees, two-thirds of the people who work in these red states, subsidizing the blue states, subsidizing That's their bureaucracy. Right. Subsidi- they're going to have, uh, get, uh, get rid of the debt uh, for people who've gone to college. So again, two-thirds of the people in this country who haven't gone to college are now going to effectively subsidize those who go to college and went to college. Uh, they're going to uh, reverse the deductibility. The president took away the deductibility over a certain amount of, of uh, taxes and, and property yep. taxes, state and local. Right. That really helps the blue state, helps everybody, but the blue states mostly. So there's a lot in here, is there not, that is intended to help the left, the wealthy left, and the blue states against the little guy. I did. That's the story of America today. I mean, the the, red, the blue states of America today. I mean, if liberalism works so well, why is, is, is it that the blue states in America have unemployment rates that are two to two and a half percentage points on average higher than in the red states? Did you see Alexandria or Casio Cortez the other day said we have our program is going to liberate red states? And I said, liberate red states? Alexandria, the people are moving from the blue states to the red states. They don't need we don't need liberating. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Well, have a good weekend, and keep being a voice of rationality out there. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Have a great weekend. Okay. Now, Mr. Call Screener, a friend of mine texts me, and he says, my dad has been calling in for the last two nights, and he's sitting on the phone for hours. Would you find out which one of these callers is Chris's dad? And then we will invite him on the program, because Chris is a very good guy. He's been the vet to my dogs, and I don't want to upset Chris, you know. So let me know when you find uh, Chris's dad there. Who is it? Okay, we can do it fairly quickly. For instance, uh, stick to the males, because uh, that's how that works. Did you find him yet? Well, you guys are slow. Come on, quickly, because I, I don't want to go to a break yet. I guess I have to go to a break. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. 
And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. There may be a little confusion. I don't do this show for callers. I do this show for the broader audience. I would think people understand that after 20 years. Otherwise, I'll just sit here and take calls all day. I take calls when I can or when I think they can contribute to the program, but there's been a lot going on that I need to discuss. And so I'm just pointing this out because apparently friends and neighbors don't get it. Um, And if you feel you're on hold too long, don't call in. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just, you know, manage your own situation. But this isn't a show where we take caller after caller after caller after caller after caller. This is a show where I come heavily prepared, probably more than most, ready to get into various subjects. I've spent hours and hours going into it, and I can't just turn the show over to callers because somebody decides they want to call in. doesn't mean callers are bad. We have some excellent callers and so forth and so on. But that's the nature of this show. And so people are desperate to call in and be heard. There are other shows where you can do a lot of that. Right, Mr. Producer? But I can barely get through what I've prepared. What I prepared. It's not called a call show. It's called conservative talk, not a call-in show. So everybody does their show a little differently. That's how I do my show. It's okay. I understand. It's perfectly fine. There's all kinds of talk show hosts out there. But I've, I've got a lot of material here that I'm working on and trying to get across. And the public is trying to hear what I have to say. And when I can take calls, I absolutely do. I don't tell people how to do their jobs. It's amazing. I don't pretend to be a doctor, a nurse, veterinarian, truck driver, electrician. It's amazing when you're a public figure, people figure, you know, you really ought to do this. I know, really ought to do what I am doing, I think. The great WSKY, James, Gainesville, Florida. Go. Yes, James, go. Yes. Yes. This is uh, another reason I don't take a lot of calls. It slows things so down. Much. James, you're on the air. Go right ahead, sir. Me about. What's up? Yeah. Uh, we were, my wife and I went to uh, D.C., the 5th and the 6th. We met a lot of wonderful people. It was like a giant church gathering almost. They were so polite and everything. But what we did see at the Capitol after we left the speech early, because there were so many people and the wind was so bad that we couldn't hear most of it anyway, so I guess we didn't get the briefing that we needed to do some uprising in the Capitol. All right, but, so you attended. You attended. You met a lot of nice people, people who were peaceful. You weren't charging the Capitol building and anything like that. And now what do you like? Do you like being painted with a broad brush? Sir? Do you like being accused of being a white supremacist? No, 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 I absolutely don't. And and I, I don't think the hundreds of thousands of others there were were anything like that. No, and most but, of the people writing about you and trashing you don't know you and weren't at that event. 
but they're pushing propaganda, they're pushing a narrative, and that's what's so disgusting about this kind of propaganda right now. And it's happening all across our uh, society and culture. Thank you for your call, my friend. Much appreciated. Every Friday, here we go. America, in your honor. Folks, this is our national town hall meeting. Stick with us every day, every week, every month. We will be here, or we will be somewhere where you can get a hold of me and listen to the program. Don't miss my Sunday show, 8 p.m. Eastern time. If you can't watch it, DVR the show. Big show, 
the CEOs of Parler and Rumble. You won't want to miss it. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Good night, Spritey and Griffey. Good night, Pepsi and Smokey and Zelda and Gigi. And good night, my little Barney. I miss you very much. And good night, Dad and Mom and Leo. I miss you guys a great deal. And I will see you on Monday. Try and have a wonderful weekend. God bless. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.